Pittsburgh in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. South Africa announces stricter COVID-19 measures. The UN chief urges governments to declare state of climate emergency and in sports news, Springboks draw Ireland and Scotland for 2023 Rugby World Cup. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Amran Musa, good morning. South Africa has recorded 175 more COVID-19 related deaths, bringing the national total to 23,451. The total number of infections registered to date stands at 866,127, with 5,163 new cases recorded. The number of recoveries stands at 762,746. Addressing the nation last night, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa cautioned nationals to keep adhering to health and safety protocols, saying the festive season poses a great threat as the country experiences a second wave of infections. It is our failure to closely adhere to all these basic precautions at all times that has brought us to this second wave. These safety precautions may not seem important until someone you love has been infected with the virus because of your own carelessness. The festive season now poses the greatest threat to the health and well-being of our nation. It poses the greatest threat also to the recovery of our economy. If we do not do things differently this festive season, we will greet the new year not with joy but with sorrow. The Sarah Bartman and Garden Root District municipalities have been declared as the latest coronavirus hotspots in South Africa. President Cyril Ramaphosa says stricter restrictions will be imposed in these two district municipalities as in the case with the Nelson Mandela Bay municipality. Minister of Health Dr. Zuelini Mkise has visited these areas and after consultations with various stakeholders, Cabinet has decided to also declare the following two districts as coronavirus hotspots. And these are the Sarah Bartman district and secondly the Garden Root district. This all means that the same additional restrictions that we applied to Nelson Mandela Bay will apply in these districts with immediate effect. The UN Refugee Agency says at least 400,000 people have fled militant attacks in northern Mozambique. The UNHCR has warned that the crisis could quickly spread beyond the country's borders if regional neighbors did not help tackle the insurgency. Mozambique's northernmost province of Cabo Delgado is grappling with an insurgency linked to Islamic State. On Monday, President Cyril Ramaphosa traveled to Mozambique for the meeting of the Sadiq Troika on politics, defense and security. The one day meeting was called to find a solution to the insurgency in Cabo Delgado. The member countries of the SADC Troika include Botswana, South Africa and Zimbabwe. However, Tanzania also attended the meeting as Cabo Delgado is on its border together with Mozambique. 
The Nigerian army says 333 boys are still unaccounted for after an attack on a boarding school in Katsina State. It says common criminals are to blame rather than Islamists. About 800 pupils were enrolled at the government science secondary school for boys in Kankara town. Earlier, the Nigerian president spokesperson said he believed just 10 children were still being held. Armed groups often kidnap people for ransom in northwestern Nigeria, but so far no group has claimed responsibility for the attack on Friday or demanded ransom. U.S. President-elect Joe Biden has praised Americans refused to be bullied during last month's presidential election. This is outgoing President Donald Trump repeatedly makes a series of unsupported claims of electoral fraud. In a speech after his election victory announcement, Biden said that the U.S. democracy had been pushed, tested and threatened, but proved to be resilient, true and strong. They showed a deep and unwavering faith in and a commitment to the law, and they wouldn't be bullied into saying anything different. It was truly remarkable because so many of these patriotic Americans are subject to so much enormous political pressure, verbal abuse, and even threats of physical violence. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think we should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African perspective. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. 
more support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think we should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African perspective. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support. Just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it. Actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds. There are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country. So I think we should invest more in that and take it seriously because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African perspective. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. A South Africa's public protector, advocate Busisiwe Mkwebane, could possibly be the first head of an institution set up to support democracy to be removed from office. Parliament has set the process in motion by appointing a panel of prominent legal experts to advise it on whether she is fit to continue as the country's public protector. The panel is appointed in accordance with new National Assembly rules adopted recently that sets aside the procedure of removing heads of any Chapter 9 institution. Zaline Merrington looks at, takes a look at how the process unfolded and where it is now. The Democratic Alliance was the only party who did not support Busisiwe Mkwebani's appointment in 2016. They accused her of being a spy, and it was not long into her time in office that they wrote to the previous Speaker of Parliament, Baleka Mbete, to look into her removal, citing damning court findings against her. They revived their request when the term of the fifth Parliament expired. 
Speaker Tandy Modi said granted the request, but Parliament then realised it did not have a mechanism to carry this out. The rules have since been drawn up and adopted, and it is on this basis that a new process has started. Under these rules, the Speaker has appointed retired Justice Basin Gabinde, advocates Dumisa Nzabeza and Johan de Waal to probe whether evidence exists for her to be removed. Parliament spokesperson Moloto Mutapo explains. The panel must determine whether there is prima facie evidence to show that the holder of the public office committed misconduct is incapacitated or is incompetent. And in doing so, it must provide the holder of the public office with a reasonable opportunity to respond in writing to all relevant allegations. It may not hold oral hearings, but must limit its assessment to the relevant written or the recorded information placed before it. The new rules are applicable to all heads of Chapter 9 institutions. In terms of the new rules, an independent panel of experts must be appointed in consultation with MPs to determine whether grounds exist for removal. Their report will be tabled in the National Assembly and, if needs be, an ad hoc committee will be established to take the matter further. The findings of this committee must again be tabled in the National Assembly and the President must be informed in case of possible removal. Nkwebani challenged the rules in the Cape Town High Court, saying it is unconstitutional and invalid. She failed in her bid to have the process halted and is yet to pursue Part B of the case to review the rules in its entirety. Political analyst Lawson Naidu shares his views on the process. The public protector is challenging the constitutionality of these rules, but I think that she is on very weak ground in that regard because these are a, a transparent, open and robust process that will uh, be followed where the evidence will be scrutinised. Uh, advocates in Kobani will be given the opportunity to, um, to, to respond to the allegations that have been made against her and uh, she needs to go through the process to enable Parliament to determine whether she remains uh, fit to hold office or not. In light of the very many court judgments against her, it is becoming increasingly unlikely that the uh, public protector would seek, uh, would succeed in resisting attempts by Parliament to remove her from office. The rules also make provision for an unforeseen event, like the independent panel asking for 90 days instead of 30 days for them to do their work. The Speaker has granted this request. Public Protector Spokesperson Opa Sakhawe was not available for comment. Zaline Merrington, Parliament. While South African political parties welcome the more restrictions announced by President Sul Ramaphosa on COVID-19 regulations, they also raise concerns about enforcing them. Ramaphosa addressed the nation on Monday about developments in relation to the country's response to the coronavirus pandemic. The address follows meetings of the National Coronavirus Command Council, the President's Coordinating Council, and a special sitting of Cabinet on Sunday. Last week, how Minister Dr. Zuelim Kize confirmed that South Africa was experiencing a second wave of the coronavirus infections. Our reporter, Nomalizo Mandel, has more. Democratic Alliance leader John Stein Hazen said while they welcome the more restrictions announced by President Cyril Ramaphosa, they are concerned about how government will enforce them. Some of the restrictions uh, are going to be necessary, particularly the restrictions on the size of gatherings. 
uh, and the like. I think we've seen that there have been a number of events where those have been super spreaders. And I think it is, uh, it's welcome to restrict that number down again. Uh, some of the ones make very little sense from an enforcement perspective. For instance, the closure of beaches. It's going to be incredibly difficult to enforce that over the festive season. Uh, particularly in places like KwaZulu-Natal, with a very strong tradition of going to the beach on those big holidays. And obviously, there's been questioning where the policing resource is going to come from to essentially stop hundreds of thousands of people getting down to the beach. The EFF spokesperson, Vianne Pambo, said the party views their address as an admission of ill-preparedness by government in dealing with the pandemic. Pambo said government also failed to use the hard lockdown period to adequately capacitate the country's health system. When we went into lockdown early on this year, we should have by now have paved. We should have, been, we, we should have used that time to make sure that we put, we, we put all of the resources into building proper infrastructure. We should by now have enough hospitals and clinics that can take the, our people uh, you know, in, in, in such a time. So we have a situation where we are reactionary instead of being, being, being proactive. By now we should be able to take care of those who are sick, but still our people die at the parking lot because the hospitals are full. Pambo also raised concerns about the selective restrictions on sale of alcohol during weekends. So we must also acknowledge the speech as an admission of the government that is interested in the interest of whites. Why is Bosch, you know, allowed to, to be able to sell alcohol on the weekend when uh, everywhere else yeah. in, the, in, in this country people can't sell alcohol? We know who is doing wine testing. It's not our brothers and sisters in Soweto. It's not our brothers and sisters in Sishiho. It's not our brothers and sisters in Kukuletu. IFP's Naren Singh said the measures are necessary and urged South Africans to behave responsibly. Desperate times calls for de- uh, desperate measures, but to use the word of the president, extraordinary measures. And uh, even extraordinary is not something that we would consider these measures. They are necessary measures. Mm-hmm. So we welcome these uh, additional measures that, we, uh, that have been put in place, but we want to emphasize the fact of South Africans acting responsibly. You know, it's a time all for one, one for all. And, and if we do not act responsibly, then this is going to exacerbate to such an extent that it's, it's, going, it's going to be like what's happening in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. That was IFP Member of Parliament Naren Singh ending that report by Nomalizo Mandela in Johannesburg. Compliance with COVID-19 health protocols is a challenge at Home Affairs offices across South Africa. This came to light during Home Affairs Minister Dr. Aaron Mutsualedi's visit to a Pretoria Central Home Affairs office on Monday. Mutsualedi, his deputy Njabulon Zunza and other senior officials from the department paid an impromptu visit to offices countrywide to assess compliance with COVID-19 protocols. Maluti Obusing reports. Over 400 patrons visit Pretoria Central Home Affairs offices daily. 22,000 of them are serviced daily by 412 Home Affairs offices nationally. Patrons at the offices expressed concern over their health as there is a challenge to maintain social distance and to comply with other COVID-19 regulations. In the midst of COVID-19 second wave, maintaining social distancing at Home Affairs offices is a challenge. Ah, it's not fine. It's not fine. It's not fine. There's no social distancing. Yeah. There's no social distancing. 
Home Affairs Department attributed today's slow-moving queues at most offices in the country to a signal disruption that affected services for almost an hour this morning. Service provider at Home Affairs, Sitas Luvuyo Keise, explains. Network is your broadband network, so when your fiber gets cut, whether somebody digs, these are the things we are raising to all telcos to say keep alternative media and reroute traffic because if you allow the connectivity to die, it has this direct impact on services. We are happy they were able to reroute within 45 minutes, but the issue is can we do it within five minutes so that the impact on service delivery is not as huge as this. Home Affairs Minister Dr. Aaron Motoredi says the department has sought assistance of immigration officials to assist at their offices to ensure that people adhere to COVID-19 protocols. When you move away, they start mixing again. They just refuse. It's so frustrating. You can see even now. I put them here, line them up, and they were fighting and all that. I say we are doing it to save your life. The moment you turn, you go away. They just do whatever they want. It's very frustrating. That's why we even got immigration officials. Immigration officials usually work with immigration, not the issue of IDs, but we deploy them here to help because uh, we can't bring police here. They've got a lot in their hands. Dr. Motoredi also says nobody will be allowed into the country without having been tested or without a COVID-19 certificate. He says plans are underway to implement the rapid COVID-19 testing for holidaymakers arriving at all ports of entry without a valid COVID-19 certificate. Yes, we think about deploying the antigen test, especially the border between us and Zimbabwe when people will be coming in. Because there, if you don't have the 72-hour test certificate, you can be tested here and there. It's a rapid test. It takes about 15 minutes. But we are not going to easily allow anybody just to come into the country without a COVID-19 certificate. And that was the South Africa's Home Affairs Minister, Dr. Aaron Mutsualedi, ending that report by Maluti Obusing. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Ona Pateke and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One, hashtag Vision 2030. It's 7.22 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. With South Africa experiencing the second wave of the coronavirus, the Congress of Traditional Leadership of South Africa says all stakeholders responsible for the summer initiation season will strictly implement initiation policies and COVID-19 regulations to avoid any casualties. Scores of initiates die due to many, many contributing factors, including mushrooming of illegal initiation schools. The summer initiation season starts on the 17th of December. Ngululego Nyembezi reports. With two days before the official opening of the summer initiation season, the province has already registered two deaths from illegal initiation schools. One fatality was recorded at Lukolo in Bizana and another one from Tulu in Libode. Some initiates were hospitalized after they were rescued by the initiation forum. Parents are very anxious as hundreds of boys will enroll at initiation schools. The Eastern Cape House of Traditional Leaders Chairperson Chief Muelo Nongkonyana says they are ready. The initiation coordinating committees that are chaired by traditional leaders uh, are actually receiving 
uh, the, uh, the, the reports from the doctors and from the families and of course also uh, from uh, the initiation uh, forums to make sure that uh, the circumcision lodges are actually constructed in a proper manner. Traditional sergeants from legal initiation schools say compliance with COVID-19 regulations will be prioritized to avoid the spread of the coronavirus. Siongwana Dian is one of the traditional sergeants. Comprehensive medical tests affirmed by the doctor. The parents must give a permission for the boy to be circumcised, and the traditional leader must also confirm that before he is handed over to the initiation school. Initiations in Matatiel and Manfletcher areas will not take place due to insufficient time allocated for this year's initiation season. Initiation forum chairperson in the northern region of the province, Shiftabang Kauli, explains. For us in this region, two weeks will never be enough for us to continue with the schools. So we are already late. That's why the decision was taken that this year, let's not do anything or attempt to have any school. Let's wait and see where the pandemic will take us. Then we prepare ourselves for the coming season where we will be ready, knowing it on time that if the pandemic is still there, how are we going to comply and to have our schools during that season? Hundreds of initiates have died and some sustained serious injuries due to illegal initiation schools. The ill treatment of young boys has also been flagged as an issue of concern. I'm Gurule in Mtata. COVID-19 vaccinations are officially underway in the United States after the first inoculations were administered on Monday following Friday's emergency use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is expected to immunize up to 25 million people by the year's end, with an initial rollout of about 2.9 million doses sent across the United States this week. The start of vaccination less than a year into its development is seen not only as a medical miracle, but also as a turning point in mitigation efforts in a country that has suffered the most infections and death anywhere in the world. Show and Bryce Peace reports. ICU nurse Sandra Lindsay from Long Island, New York, became one of the first people in the nation to receive the inoculation during an event live streamed by the governor of the state. It didn't feel any different from taking any other vaccine. Great. I'm Governor Coma. I'm feeling well. I would like to thank all the frontline workers, all my colleagues who've been doing a yeoman's job to fight this pandemic all over the world. I am hopeful, I feel hopeful today, I'm relieved, I feel like healing is coming. I hope this marks the beginning to the end of a very painful time in our history. I want to instill public confidence that the vaccine is safe. We're in a pandemic and so we all need to do our parts um, to put an end to the pandemic. In a country that has recorded over 16 million cases and 299,000 deaths and counting, Uga Sahin is the CEO of BioNTech that partnered with Pfizer in the development of the vaccine. It has a huge importance. The attack rates in the, in the United States at the moment are <clears throat> among the highest in the world. 
and um, and uh, we started to develop our vaccines with the goal to to make uh, to make an eff effective and safe vaccine available as soon as possible. And, uh, and uh, the emergency use authorization allows us now uh, to bring the vaccine uh, at a time, time point, uh, which provides an extremely high, high uh, medical need to the, to the population. It validates, um, it validates the safety and efficacy of our approach. The FDA authorization saw a massive logistical operation kick into high gear in order to package, transport and ship millions of vaccine doses around the country that must be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius. UPS and FedEx ensuring that they get highest priority. While workers at a Pfizer factory in Michigan cheered as the first shipments were dispatched. Captain Houston Moles of UPS Flight Operation and Safety. From a pilot's perspective, this is what we do all the time. And as you all know, this is our peak season. So this is the busiest time for us. But, you know, we made capacity in our network because we knew these vaccines were so important. So not only are we going to be able to play Santa and ensure that all those gifts are there, we're also going to be able to make sure, you know, these, in, these incredible vaccines are there as well. As COVID-19 hospitalizations nationwide remain at record levels, over 109,000. This initial round of vaccinations targeting health workers and nursing homes is not expected to impact current scenarios on the ground, particularly for people like ICU nurse Martha Navarro in Los Angeles. The most difficult thing for me is when you have to turn the families away. Families are very important and essential for the healing of the patients and when they cannot see their loved ones and I have to be the one that says, I'm sorry, you can't come to see your loved one. That makes it very, very difficult for me. Wall Street opening higher Monday, buoyed by a surge in travel stocks on the launch of the vaccination program as the United States becomes only the sixth country after the UK, Bahrain, Canada, Saudi Arabia and Mexico to approve the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for use, a development process being hailed as a medical miracle given the breakneck speed at which we arrived at Friday's emergency use authorization. To put that into some context, the fastest vaccine brought to market before this was for mumps, and that took four years. The FDA will weigh a similar decision on Moderna's vaccine later this week, which could see an additional 15 million doses become available before the year's end. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African From a perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. In the headlines, South Africa has announced new restrictions to try to contain a second wave of COVID-19. President Cyril Ramaphosa says a sharp rise in new infections was a cause for great concern as he announced plans to close some beaches and limit mass gatherings over the holiday period. The federal government of Somalia has cut diplomatic ties with neighboring Kenya and has recalled all its diplomats from Nairobi and given Kenyan diplomats 
flights in Mogadishu, seven days to leave the country. And U.S. President-elect John uh, Joe Biden has called on outgoing President Donald Trump to stop his attempts to change the challenge the result of last month's presidential election. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Thank you. And two African carriers, Ethiopia Airlines and Kenya Airways, are positioning themselves for the transportation of COVID-19 vaccines. In Addis Ababa, Ethiopian Airlines has launched a cold-chain air freight to transport temperature-sensitive medicines, including potential COVID-19 vaccines. Of the three vaccines that have so far proven to have high effect efficacy. AstraZeneca from the United Kingdom needs storage of between 2 and 8 degrees. Moderna needs 20 degrees Celsius and Pfizer-BioNTech needs between minus 60 degrees Celsius to minus 90 degrees Celsius. Coletto and Johi got exclusive access to the cargo terminal in Addis Ababa where Fitsum Abadi, the managing director of cargo services, explained how the vaccine transportation facilities are being prepared. This Addis Ababa cargo terminal has a capacity of at least 1 million tons of cargo annually. As the COVID-19 vaccine presents a business opportunity for transportation, compartments in here are ready to accommodate different temperature requirements. Fitsum Abadi is the managing director for Ethiopian Cargo and Logistics Services. We have compartmentalized storage areas where we uh, store uh, pharmaceuticals and uh, uh, important or sensitive shipments as per their temperature requirement. We have, uh, for example, between 2 to 8, uh, 15 to 25 and we have a temperature range uh, that reaches up to negative 25 deep freezers so as per the temperature requirement of the pharmaceuticals they can be stored on different uh, compartments of our houses. Fitsum adds that over 30 aircrafts are now dedicated to vaccine transportation. We have 25 uh, only cargo uplifting aircrafts uh, we have a dedicated cargo aircrafts of 12, uh, 10, 777 and 2737-800s. Uh, we have converted uh, wide-body uh, passenger aircrafts into uh, uplifting only cargo by removing the passenger seats. Uh, these are about 16 uh, aircrafts. So 12 and 16, we have already about 28 uh, aircrafts uh, ready. We have converted seven uh, Airbus 350 into only cargo uh, by removing the seats. We have converted seven uh, 777-300 aircrafts, uh, two of them, uh, 777-200 aircrafts, three of them. Uh, 
These machines called dollies are a new addition to the vaccine transportation preparation. They will move the vaccines from the warehouse to aircrafts at the correct temperature. These cool uh, dollies can range their temperature from negative 29 to positive 27. So these cool dollies are very important to keep the integrity, uh, the quality of the pharmaceuticals uh, who are uh, directly related with human lives. Uh, we have also envirotainers or cold containers that keeps these pharmaceuticals, these vaccines, in their temperature range in the, in, in, the, in the aircraft. So we transport them on those cold containers from point A to point B. And business has already started trickling in. The airline says it has already got an order from China to transport COVID-19 vaccines from China to Brazil within the next 20 days. African countries are yet to begin receiving COVID-19 vaccines with the Africa Centers for Diseases Control and Prevention saying it is hard to tell when any vaccine will arrive in Africa. Ethiopian Airlines says when that time comes, it will be on standby. Colette Anjohi, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Colette Anjohi for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Bandits armed with assault rifles have attacked a secondary school in Nigeria's northwestern Katsina state and hundreds of pupils are missing. The gunmen stormed the government science secondary school in Kankara district. Violence and insecurity across Nigeria have enraged citizens, particularly after scores of farmers were killed, some beheaded by Islamist militants in northeast Borno state late last month. Channel Africa's Colin Zatohengbe reports from Lagos. The pain of many Nigerians over the level of insecurity and the evident fear expressed by many over their safety was further worsened last weekend with the abduction of over 300 school children by terror gangs in Kankara, Katsina State, northwest of Nigeria. The incident has also increased the voice of discord over the refusal of the federal government to come to terms with concerned Nigerians who have been calling for the overhaul of the security apparatus beginning with the sack of the service chiefs, most of whom have stayed in office beyond the service term which is approved under the service rules and regulations of the country. 
speaking on the development, the Kasina State Governor Amino Masari decried the abduction of school children, confirmed that 333 of the estimated 600 students initially declared to be missing are yet to be accounted for. The children so far kidnapped cut across the state because the school is a boarding school. It houses children from all parts of the state and some even from outside the state. It has a population of 839 and so far we are yet to account for 333 peoples and uh, we are still counting because more are coming out of the forest and we are calling through the numbers those parents that to find out whether their children have gone back home because we have discovered uh, so many local governments the children have gone back we are yet to be contacted by any group or person uh, those who have uh, kidnapped the children taking a swipe at president buhari and his administration for security lapses the main opposition political party the people's democratic party says the incident confirmed the inability of buhari to secure the country kola ologbondion is the spokesperson of the people's democratic party this development has further exposed the failure of president Muhammad buhari to manage high-level security intelligence that ought to accompany a presidential visit president buhari who refused to honor an invitation by the House of Representatives for a collective deliberation on security could abandon his duty post for a holiday, leaving our nation's flanks open for terrorists, bandits, vandals, and insurgents. The time of the attack portrays the fact that President Buhari is totally incapable of securing our nation. The very reason there have been widespread calls by patriotic Nigerians that he should resign from office. Moreover, this particular abduction in the president's home state, under his own watch, raises further serious questions over this government's capacity to fight insurgents. Jamilu Charanchi of the Coalition of Northern Groups told journalists at a press conference on the Kankara students' abduction that even if they were to lose their lives, youths in northern Nigeria will embark on a timeless demonstration if the government delayed to rescue the students. Hopeless as the situation may seem, silence is a luxury we cannot afford. The law of the government to rescue the missing student within a shortest period of time, CNG will not hesitate to mobilize hundreds of thousands on the street of Katsina State for a continuous protest until the students are fully rescued. This will happen even if it is going to cost our lives. President Buhari-led administration has spelled in discharging its primary responsibility of protecting lives and properties of people. Taking a look at the incident and the method of having to negotiate with kidnappers or trying to cut their friendship as the Kasina state government has done in the past, the deputy chairman of the House of Representatives Committee on Security at the National Assembly, Adejor Adeogun, says it's an admission of failure to negotiate with undefeated bandits. I think negotiating with bandits or thinking of amnesty for bandits is actually an acceptance of failure. When you're offering amnesty, you offer amnesty to someone who's been defeated, someone who's actually asking, come and help me, not someone who's saying, look, I want to fight to die. So I think we're adopting the wrong procedure. What I think we should do is actually build the capability of our security forces to actually be able to take the fight to the bandits and defeat them in their own place, not negotiate with them. Negotiating is not going to solve the problem. What we're going to do is just transfer the mad bandits from one location to another. So for as long as they have weapons and you're negotiating with them, you're actually making them more powerful. That's what we're going to have at the end of the day. Group captain 
Sadiq Shehu, Deputy Head of Security and Safety at the African Union headquarters, says there may be some interest that wants the war against insurgents to persist. Does it not surprise you that this ragtag army of the Boko Haram is holding the Nigerian army to task all these years? If we really dig deep, we may find out that there are some interests that want this war to continue, not because the Boko Haram cannot be trashed in a short while, but because of some other interests. Daily, if we don't check these criminal acts, people are acquiring greater skills and things are getting worse. So it is important that we really face this issue of security. The kidnapping incidents at Kankara Kasina State is similar to what happened at Chibok in April 2014, in which over 400 girls were kidnapped, and the February 28 incident of the abduction of 110 school children in Dapchi. While there remains quite a number of victims of those abductions yet to be rescued, a fresh batch of 333 school children has been added to the number. Will the president now accept the court to overhaul? its security apparatus to reinforce its drive to defeat insurgent groups. As it is now, many Nigerians are seeking ways to leave the country at the slightest opportunity for safety reasons. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nusa Atohengwe for Channel Africa News. At 7.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoko. Good morning. The South African alcohol industry has voiced support for the limitations in the sale of alcohol but says it will cause sales disruptions at liquor retail outlets. In his address to the nation last night, President Soramaphosa announced new national restrictions as the number of new coronavirus cases rise amid the pandemic. Ramaphosa says that the sale of alcohol will only be permitted between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Central African time from Mondays to Thursdays at retail outlets. Alcohol use has been banned in public places such as beaches and parks. The spokesperson for the liquor industry is Sibani Mgati. We understand the public health issue that is facing us and we fully support the president's call that we need to pull together. But I think the concern area which we hope can be attended to is the limitation on the bottle store side because it does affect that sector quite significantly and we may see effect on jobs in that space. But also it brings in balance in the two channels that we operate in. So over the weekend you don't have any other option other than what we call on-trade to sit down bars, chav environment, whereas other people would have preferred to purchase for home consumption and so on, we, we do believe it's safe. Kenyans will pay more fuel prices following adjustment to cutting across kerosene, super petrol and diesel. The effect took place midnight. The Energy and Petroleum Regulatory Authority increased the prices of petrol and diesel by 0.86 US dollars and 0.99 per litre, respectively. Kerosene price have gone up by 0.17 dollars per litre. The prices are inclusive of the 8% value-added tax in line with the provisions of the Finance Act 2018, the Tax Laws Act 2020, and the revised rates for excise duty adjusted for inflation. 
The Zimbabwe Electricity Supply Authority is owed about 5.6 billion US dollars in both local and foreign currency with local authorities owing 1 billion dollars, government 400 million and parastatals 189 million and with the debt still rising. This has seen the utility struggling to service its debts, particularly with foreign utilities to supply the required imports. This situation was worsened by the fact that the utility owed its own suppliers about 90 million US dollars and was having difficulties servicing the debt. The Eastern Province Cashew Growers Association of Zambia is targeting engaging 50,000 small-scale farmers to grow cashew nuts by 2022 and feed into the proposed processing plant in Chipata. The association is scouting for about 28 million US dollars to construct a processing plant which will have a capacity of producing 700,000 tons of cashew nuts annually. The growers coordinator, Alison Piri, said that the targeted 50,000 farmers are expected to grow one hectare each. The Rwanda National Police have launched a tree planting exercise to supplement the National Environmental Protection Program. The planting of trees, which started in Kamuni and Rubavu districts, will continue to other parts of the country. The environmental protection activities also include connecting villages that are far from the national grid with solar power systems, as well as constructing terraces and water channels to flight soil erosion. The US dollar is trading at 377.76 Nigerian Nara, 10.82 Botswana Pula, 110.69 Kenyan Shilling and 21.5 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies in Brazil, one US dollar is trading at 5 real 7. Russia, 73 rubles 29. India, 73 rupees 49. China, 6 yuan 54. And in South Africa, a dollar is trading at 15 rand 3. The US dollar is trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at 1,833 dollars and platinum, 1,008 dollars per ounce Brent crude oil is at 50 dollars 12 cents a barrel. Your favorite channel. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. And in this hour in our sports update, we're kicking off with rugby news. The Springboks will start the defense of the Web Ellis Cup in Pool B against Ireland and Scotland when the next Rugby World Cup kicks off in France in 2023. As the defending champions and number one ranked team in the world, South Africa are one of five teams in Pool B for the 2023 tournament, along with two more qualifying teams from the Asia-Pacific qualifier and Europe. The Springboks have never been drawn in the Rugby World Cup pool with Ireland and will be defending a proud history as they have only lost three pool matches in seven tournaments against England in 2003, Japan 2015 and New Zealand 2019. Springbok captain Sia Kolisi reacts to the draw. I think it's really good I mean, to prepare, especially 
if you make it through the, the group, you see who you're facing, you know, that's really good to make sure that you're playing against proper guys and you can prepare properly. On to football news locally, South Africa's DSTV Premiership Club Amazulu announced Benny McCarthy as their new head coach. McCarthy will replace Ayanda Dlamini in the hot seat at the ambitious Guazulu Natal Club. McCarthy will return to the top flight in Southern African football side after a year's absence, having been sacked by Cape Town City FC in November 2019. McCarthy's first task will be to oversee Amazulu's next league clash against Golden Arrows at Kings Park. On Wednesday night, Kenya Athletics Association welcomed the establishment of a World Anti-Doping Agency-approved blood testing laboratory for East Africa in Nairobi, declaring it as a big step in the anti-doping fight. Athletics Kenya President Jackson Tuwei says the decision by the Water Board to set up in Nairobi has been a huge boost for Kenya because he has been relying on labs in South Africa and Europe. Doctors in charge of the lab tax at Lancet enumerates the advantages Kenya and its neighbors are reaping. There will be no questions of the time delay and the logistics being a factor in the testing and the results. Number two, of course, the fact that we are doing it locally and we have a team of expertise here, we will be able to ensure that things are done at that international standards and of course people tend to recognize things that are done where they can trust nobody is worried about something going too far out which means it reduces the uh, the questions and anxiety athletics kenya president Tuway has been consistent that any shame of being found to have doped will be borne by the individual athletes unless she or he proves culpability on the part of any other person. What does the water court say about about doping? First of all, is the an individual's responsibility, and and it and it and it says very clearly the person whose whose um, responsibility it is is the person who takes or who injects whatever it is who is found in the body. Unless that person tells us, or we find out who gave him or her then now we can go for it. But if you don't have any information, um, how, do you, how do you go for, to somebody who are, you have no evidence about? You remember in 2014, we suspended one of the managers for six months to carry out investigations. We in Athletics Kenya, we did it. We carried out investigations. We did not find any proof. <laughs> And finally, the National Athletics Association of Zimbabwe are shifting their focus to the new upcoming season where an increased number of local competitions have been lined up in a move expected to enhance athletes' performance. The National Association released a fully packed calendar for the year with a number of provincial cross-country events scheduled for January in Harare, Manikaland and Bulawayo. Track and field events get underway in February and the emphasis is on provinces staging competitions within their areas while the National Association focuses on running main national events. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai.
That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magaza, technical producer Dumelo Mugwena and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at channelafrica1. I'll take us to the top of the hour. For the news is Bongo Muffin with a song titled Harare. Goodbye and keep safe.